Everyone, welcome to episode 53 of Purposely Podcast with James Herman, founder of Previously Unavailable. James is one of New Zealand's most respected creative minds. He's been helping a lot of startups and companies create successful brand stories, really articulate their purpose. In this episode, he retraces his founder story and he also explains his vision for the ultimate company, being the ultimate employer and how that's a recipe for success. Enjoy the episode. Our revenue line and our profit line are really healthy and we have a thriving business. So it's not that I turn away from those things completely. I just, for some reason, I kind of know that those things will look after themselves if I do the right thing as a leader and look after my people and make, you know, short-term trade-offs to achieve, you know, to achieve that. Like, I know that I don't need to worry about like things impacting the profit margin in the short term because I know that will pay off in the long term. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Everyone, welcome, James, to Purposely Podcast. It's great to be here, Mark. I really want to start by asking you about your founder journey with Previously Unavailable. How did you get your yeah. job? Um, I gave it to myself. Um, so I, so I was in 2014. At the beginning of 2014, I was running a big advertising agency here that was part of a big global network, and I'd been running that for about a year and a half and I'd spent my life before that in advertising as a strategic planning person and um and I found myself wanting to kind of apply the the strategic and the creative thinking that we really excelled at in the advertising industry but apply that to things that were a little deeper inside companies than just the advertising which was really just the wrapping paper around a business I looked for another company to work for that that did that, that applied creativity and, and strategy to products and innovations and experiences and those sorts of more central things. And, and I couldn't find one in New Zealand. There weren't any. And so it was, a, it was that sort of classic moment of going, okay, well, if I really want to do that, then I'm going to have to start doing it myself and, and sort of build from there. And so that was about seven years ago now. And um and, and it was just me by myself um, at the at the start with no clients and no projects and no team and no business partners and no idea what I was doing, frankly. And and um, and then over the last 12 years, it's grown into a, uh, a really good little business. We're about 12 people now and and um, and we work with a lot of clients in both the corporate and the startup space um, and a lot of very kind of purposeful uh, people doing doing really meaningful things. And the name previously unavailable, how did that come about? And was, was that the name right from the very beginning? Yeah, it was the name from the beginning. At the time I was working on a, um, on, an, a, a, on a friend's business, helping them name their company and naming a business is such a, it's a, it's a really difficult process because it's, it's a very emotional decision for a founder to make. Um, and it can take a really long time to kind of match up something that's sort of you know, makes strategic sense with something that's also, you know, you feel emotionally pleased with or proud of as a founder. And so I've been through going through this process with this other company and it was taking months for them to find something that they liked. 
And I think as a, as a sort of a reaction to how long it was taking that company, I, I made the decision very, very quickly. So on, I heard, you know, just a snippet of someone saying something on the radio one morning and, and as part of their whatever sentence they were saying, they used the phrase previously unavailable. And, um, and I just thought, I like that, that's good. Um, previously unavailable means that things that don't exist before um, haven't existed before. And that's what I'm interested in. I love new things. I love the creation of new things, new products and new companies and new brands and, and so on. And so, um, and so that feels like a nice blend of sort of an unusual name, but also one that's actually pretty straightforward and describes what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And so looking from the outside in, you're a service-based business, but actually you're looking at kind of productizing what you do. You're doing some, so looking at scaling your products. Yeah, we have a little bit. So, so yeah, primarily we are a, um, we are, we're a service business. So we're a group of people that, that um, do creative and strategic jobs for, um, for our clients. Um, And, uh, and, and then, Alongside that, we're sort of, you know, we've, we've been exploring different business models and different ways to deliver these services. So one of those ways is through productization. So we took our brand strategy development process uh, and we put that on a digital platform where rather than paying us, you know, often much more money than a, than a, a small young startup can afford to pay, they can use a, a, a video-based online platform to take them through a day workshop where they'll they'll kind of interrogate their business and they'll figure out what they're about and they'll write a story about themselves and that will serve as kind of the articulation of what their brand's about. And uh, and and when we launched that, you know, it cost five hundred dollars to do that as opposed to you know the many thousands that it would cost if if, if we did it in person. And so that enables us to kind of deliver that same sort of service, but in a, in a very kind of hands-off way um, for us, we don't need to show up, um, but people yeah. can still access the sort of the style of thinking and the process that we go through. And so, so that's been very, that's been a, an interesting sort of model to explore. Toothbrush uh, is, it's a business that we created in 2016 um, very rapidly. So we had the idea and 13 weeks later, we launched a subscription bamboo toothbrush business into the New Zealand market. It took off from day one, uh, grew really rapidly. We, we moved, uh, started um, selling in Australia about seven months after we launched in New Zealand. Um, and then that grew, kind of continued to grow uh, into, you know, the, the biggest such service in, in Australasia. Um, and we sold it uh, three years, almost the day after we'd, um, we'd launched it. Um, and so that was very successful and really interesting, you know, for us to kind of go through that whole process of starting something from an absolute blank sheet of paper, creating the whole thing, you know, with a kind of a global supply chain and, and, a, and a business model that was really quite nascent at the time. I know from a recent conversation that you and I had that you're really trying to reimagine um, lots of things about your company and, and sort of sticking with that theme around previously unavailable, but balancing profit and purpose, would that be a good way of describing it? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, 
Yeah, would I call it balancing profit and purpose? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm probably a little bit, um, you know, slightly unusual in that I'm I'm not particularly money driven. Um, so I think when you know watching sort of peers and colleagues start their own businesses, sort of coming out of the advertising world and starting their own companies, I, I think you know one of the things I noticed was that a lot of them you know, the primary ambition or, or what really makes them feel good about how they're going is the size of their company. You know, how, how fast are they growing? How many people have they managed to hire? How much profit are they making? These sorts of very short-term metrics, um, which I've never been sort of a particularly competitive person. And so I'm, I, I sort of, those things don't sort of turn me on in the way that I think they turn other people on. And and instead, I, I'm actually much more interested in how we create a company that uh, takes very, very good care of its people, that is, a, is an amazing place to come to work every day, um, that, that uh, where people love the job that they're doing um, and they, they feel involved in truly fulfilling and meaningful work, um, where they feel previously as a place that they come to to do what they love doing rather than uh, a sort of a place they come to work as a staff member. Um, and it's just, just sort of thinking about that, how you, how you create such a place, um, a place that people really want to stay um, for a long time. Because I think one of, one of the, you know, one of the sort of other things I find quite weird is that we have this sort of such, um, continual turnover of people in most companies you know you stay somewhere for a year or 18 months or two years or three years or whatever it might be um and i think you know growing up as a sort of person who played in in bands and rock bands you know the the value of people who spend a lot of time together really honing their craft together is that they can they make amazing music together they can perform that sort of really 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 well and and i think it's the same in and sort of in any organization really is enormous value and people have spent a long time together doing something together and um, you know really honing that together and to create a place that keeps its people for a really really long time you've got to really rethink the way that business operates i think you know and the classic way is that a business exists to sell a product and make money and you know do its thing and then there are people who serve the interests of that business who are staff and so the business sort of sits above those people and they they serve into it um and and the the model that i like much better is sort of how do we create a company that's a platform beneath people you know the company's in the service of the people and if the company can serve those people really well by doing things like a sort of looking after them from a financial perspective creating opportunities for them to generate wealth in the future through things like equity um, sharing programs, um, where they love what they're doing, where they love the people that they're coming to work with, they genuinely like them and want to spend time with them. Um, and where their, you know, their health and well-being is taken really good care of. And lastly, a place that's flexible enough to move as they move through life and be able to flex with them. So when they have children, the arrangement can be a bit different and the company can flex to account for that. Um, or if they want to go on a sabbatical or they want to kind of move to less days of work or um, whatever that might be. You know, so we're thinking about all of these 
all of these things about how you create a place that someone would never want to leave because they 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 felt so well taken care of across all of those different aspects that it would be sort of absurd to want to go anywhere else what do you do in your spare time when you're not when you're not working what's your kind of usually vices? i work usually if i'm not working i like to work and so um it's um yeah i'm probably you know one of the this is actually, I mean, that's a really interesting question because I, I, I kind of, I struggle with this sometimes, but I don't struggle with that others. I mean, the, the fact that I, you know, I'm lucky enough to do something that I really love for a living um, and it's not really like work. Um, and so, and so I do, like in one sense, you'd consider me a workaholic because I do spend a lot of time sort of thinking about the stuff that I'm working on and working on it. Um, and, and, and I, and I don't mind that at all because it doesn't feel like work. Um, and then the times when I'm not doing that, I mean, I really, um, you know, it's I, I'm not someone that goes out and runs marathons and does all sorts of sort of you know sporting stuff at the weekend, or and I don't really have sort of traditional hobbies. But I, I like sitting on the sitting on the sofa with my wife and watching television, or hanging out with the kids, or just doing normal stuff really to kind of you know take a little bit of a break from what I'm doing at work and and usually get pretty swiftly back to it. And you're a trustee of the Breast Cancer Foundation for a bit? I was for a little while, yeah. For about four years, I think, I was on um, their board of trustees. And that was a really, um, that was a really interesting experience for me. Um, I think going onto the board, and I was sort of a diversity hire, which sounds weird because I'm a white man. Um, but they were... <laughs> um, they were a group of, um, or all but one of them were women, and they were all quite a bit older than I was. And so I was kind of this, you know, kind of younger, more male voice who who brought a, probably a little bit more of a, um, you know, commercial perspective, um, a, a, a digital and sort of modern business perspective and innovation perspective. Um, uh, to the business and um, and yeah, it was quite, it's, it was quite interesting. I'm sort of I don't think I'm grown up enough to be on most boards, but that one was um, that one was really it was fun and it was meaningful and we and we got to sort of deliver some really interesting things as a board that did make a really big difference. Mm. And what if you have one? What what is your superpower? On a personal level maybe in and because you love working so much <laughs> maybe in the workplace yeah um yeah it's interesting because i think you know when you think about purpose and you know to, to sort of contextualize i guess the superpower within that um i, I think you know ha having having really thought a lot about purpose for a really long time because i was you know, I, I was introduced to the idea of purpose in a book that was written in 1992 by Jim Collins and Jerry Porras called Built to Last. And, um, and that was a book that, you know, they studied dozens of companies that had outperformed the share market over very, very long periods. And one of the things that they discovered was all of those companies had a, what they called at the time, a core purpose. Um, they also, in that same book, popularized the notion of a values-based organization and of the BHAG. They invented that term. 
Uh, and, and so all of those concepts sort of emerged in the early 90s. Um, and they were all quite externally focused. So if you think about, um, you know, Walmart's purpose right at the beginning, which was to give ordinary folk the chance to buy the same things as rich people, um, which is, um, you know, you probably don't think of Walmart as an enormously purposeful organization nowadays, but they actually started out on a sort of, you know, on what felt very much like a social mission to kind of, you know, bring purchasing equality to people. Um, yeah. And, and, and a lot of purposes like that, they're really focused on the customer, right? What are we, what are we doing for the customer and the world around us? Um, and how, how do we make their lives better or how do we impact or influence in a way that has positive outcomes? And, and for me, the sort of journey of, you know, thinking about my own or our, our purpose as an organization has, has been you know, for a long time thinking about what is what is our role in the world? How are we making the world a better place? Um, and and sort of thinking through that and never being entirely satisfied with where we kind of ended up. Um, and, and it wasn't until, you know, really about a year ago that I realized that actually what I felt most passionate about was actually an internal stuff, um, actually creating a place for its people, its staff, that was the place that I've, you know, described earlier. Um, and, and actually my, per my sense of purpose isn't as much stimulated by what we're doing for the world around us and our customers as it is, what are we doing for our people? That makes us such a great place to work that those people then go on to do extraordinary things for our clients and the world around us. I mm. think things go in that order, right? Um, that, that actually, if you, can, if you can create an environment that turns everyone within it into the most capable versions of themselves, you will inevitably do far better than if you try to do those incredible things, but don't really look after the people that are supposed to be doing the work that makes them happen. Yeah, I totally um, agree. Mm. And and I think, um, so I think when, you know, going back to the superpower thing, I think my superpower and like from, from that internal perspective, actually I'll talk about the external one first. The external one is that I'm really good at making things really simple. Um, and I'm good at taking big complex concepts and figuring out what's at the heart of them and being able to express that in a way that people can understand and kind of really around and I use that skill and everything from if I'm you know writing a piece of copy for a for a brand that's going to be read publicly about what it's about or or back to if I'm explaining a concept in a meeting and I need people to understand it and come on the journey um, so my kind of external sort of superpower is 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 making the complex simple um, and and in doing that you make it sort of human and persuasive and and, and all those sorts of things but my internal superpower is, you know, that kind of, um, that, that idea that, you know, your values aren't really your values until they cost you money. Um, and what you, <laughs> what, what you meant, what you meant, you know, what you said earlier, um, which was, you know, kind of about that, right? Having to sort of act in a purposeful values led way through difficult times or, or, when you've got sort of expectations around how you 
generate a profit. I think my internal superpower is I, is I just, for some reason, I don't care about those perverse incentives. I just don't, I, I kind of, and don't get me wrong, we are a profitable company that is growing and we make a really healthy, you know, our revenue line and our profit line are really healthy and we have a thriving business. So it's not that I turn away from those things completely. I just, for some reason, I kind of know that those things will look after themselves if I do the right thing as a leader and look after my people and make, you know, short-term trade-offs to achieve, you know, to achieve that. Like I know that I don't need to worry about like things impacting the profit margin in the short term because I know that will pay off in the long term. I don't know. I just have a kind of a, an ability to not care about and not worry and fuss and be anxious about the sort of the financial short-term financial metrics that so many people worry about. Um, for some reason, my brain just doesn't work in that way. And so that gives me the ability to just on a day-to-day -day basis, make choices that my team, my company see me making that let them know that I'm thinking about them first and all that other stuff second. And that's what I think creates great culture. Yeah, great. And moving focus a bit to we're sitting in Auckland in New Zealand and we had a conversation recently and you're feeling quite confident about New Zealand post-pandemic and just New Zealand generally. Yeah. Um, just give us a bit of a recap on those thoughts. Yeah, I think, I mean, I really think over my life, um, I'm 43, and over my life, New Zealand has changed in a really extraordinary way, I think. When I was a young person, when I was growing up, particularly in my teen years and my early 20s, you know, I was a um, person with, you know, I said, I said before I wasn't competitive, but that didn't mean I didn't have high aspirations um, and ambitions. Um, and, and I was looking out to the world and I sort of, and I loved the best of what the world had to offer, um, particularly around creative things like, you know, the arts, music, design, architecture, all of these sorts of things. Um, and 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 I, I really felt that New Zealand was lacking sort of atrociously on a lot of that. And I, I sort of felt like a little bit embarrassed really that uh, that uh, about New Zealand's sort of ability to execute in a way that was really world-class. Um, and that's really changed um, a great deal. So particularly from about 10 years ago, um, you know, Auckland as a city went from being a city that I would have been very shy about telling anyone from around the world that they should move to and live here because I, you know, I, I didn't think much of it to be fair as a city. Um, and it's blossomed into a city that I would say to anyone in the world now, you know, you should, you, you should come and live here if you can. Um, because this, for, you know, for a range of different reasons, we've upped our game enormously. Um, and the way we execute now is like it's is like a mile from how we were executing 10 or 15 years ago um, across every sphere, you know, whether it's the arts or creative stuff or whether it's business. Um, and, and so I think I'm sort of super proud of my city and my country and how it's developed. Um, I think alongside that, we've had a period where the world sort of 
you know, had, had a few reckonings with its, how it's behaved and what its values are. Um, and those are the obvious ones around the environment um, and around um, human rights, particularly for, um, for people who aren't uh, majority groups. Um, and, you know, I personally think that's really healthy um, and a really good thing. And I think often, I think, I think in many ways, the way that the world's, the point that the world's leading to, the values that the world is beginning to prize are actually the values of New Zealand. So we have, uh, I think we, the values that I sense from New Zealand about being, um, you know, the, the, the humility which you which you can read as having a greater respect toward others um, is something which has existed here for a long time. Um, our sort of our, our ability to be a little bit kind of irreverent and cheeky and think a little bit different is being more and more prized around the world. Um, the way that we you know, I think we, we've got a long way to go, don't get me wrong, but the way that we have embraced Māori culture and, and te reo and Māori culture is, is, a, a, is a really big part of day-to-day -day life in New Zealand in a way that it just isn't in most countries. Not Māori culture, but their own Indigenous culture. Um, lots of these things are becoming... Uh, oh, and by the way, our sort of... And again, this is something that we still have a lot of work to do on, but our, our kind of, our, our, our sort of mindset toward the more sustainable, the more environmentally friendly, um, uh, that's been sort of part of our DNA for a long time, albeit in a lot of ways, some of our corporate community in particular don't, don't live up to that. Um, but I think those are the values that are becoming more the values of the 21st uh, century, uh, mm. the world over. Mm. Um, and I think if you look, if you reflect back on history, I think, you know, in the 1800s, the, uh, like Britain was really right for its time. Um, its values aligned really well with the values of the, of the world. And it meant that it sort of grew a lot and, and was a real kind of, you know, cultural superpower. Um, in, the 19, uh, in the 1900s, last century, America, America's values were perfectly right for its time. And that's why it became such a sort of superpower through that, that stage. I think if you think about the 21st century, New Zealand's values are really right for its time. And I don't think that means we'll become a superpower because we're far too small for that. But I do think that we are consistent with and compatible with where the world is now and what it's starting to become and, and will be for the, the next 80 years. Um, and I think that gives New Zealand an opportunity to, um, you know, to do perhaps more, to influence more, to inspire more than we've been able to um, in past centuries. Uh, and so I think New Zealand start, I think people are noticing that the way that the world looks at the, uh, the leadership of Jacinda Ardern and the values that she obviously holds, but not just, she doesn't say those values, she she acts them, um, which is really important. Yeah. Um, and I think the way that they look at, you know, um, the way that they, they've come to love our, the comedy of people like 
Taika Waititi and Flo de Concords and Rose Matafeo and, and these sorts of people who, um, who exhibit that New Zealand personality and those values in, in their own way. Yeah, on a global um, global stage yeah, as well. Absolutely. Mm. So I think I think that I think we're at a time where actually what we're doing and how we do it is very, very welcome globally. And that gives us a chance to, you know, for our stars to sort of rise. And I think that will continue to be the case. And I think we'll benefit enormously from that. And of course, with that, those opportunities come responsibilities and and um, and 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 that's for sure. But but also those opportunities are very real for us to sort of go out and be ourselves um, and for that to be a very advantageous thing for us as people, for us as businesses, for us as a country. Um, and so I'm, I'm very optimistic about the lay of the land ahead of us um, as New Zealand. Mm. And that feels like a really good place to stop. So James, massive thank you for taking the time to join me on Purposely and um, I wish you and your team all the best for the future. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review.